Welcome to Make It Count, Living a Legacy Life, where we invest in what matters, God and people. I'm Sue Donaldson, speaker, author, and creator of WelcomeHeart.com, where you can learn to know and show the heart of God. And that's what counts. Thank you for joining me. Good morning. We're talking about contentment again today. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that first one of the series, uh, The Legacy of a Contented Woman. There's nothing worse than a discontented, not just woman, but nine-year-old or 15-year-old or 80-year-old man. We want to be content, contented. It shows a grace of God, I think. It shows us to be graceful people, someone who trusts Him with our whole lives. And I hope you got to take that little contentment quiz. You can see it in show notes from two weeks ago. Last time we talked about a legacy of a contented person, we mentioned this concept of if only things were different syndrome. I call it a syndrome because we all suffer from it in one way or another. If only things were different. It's wrong thinking. And I think the older we get, that's one blessing from getting older is we look back and go, those things did not give me contentment. And here's why. I wasn't seeking God first. He says that in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and what? All those other things will be added unto you. But you don't really trust it when you're younger unless you have a great deal of faith. But then you live a little bit longer and you realize that God always comes through, not necessarily in the timing that we thought was best, but that's what contentment's all about. It's about trusting God, not yourself. If only things were different syndrome. Are you suffering from that today? It's okay. I'm sure I've suffered from it twice before lunch today. But it's wrong thinking, and here's why. The world says true contentment comes when our needs are met, and you, meaning me, or someone else, or something else is responsible for meeting our our needs. There are so many self-help books and motivational speakers who don't mention God at all. They just say, you know, pull up your bootstraps and have a good attitude and um, stop being a victim and all these things that are very, very, very difficult, but they leave God out of the equation for meeting all your needs. We can't meet all our needs. No one person is meant to do that, including your husband or your wife or including yourself. True contentment comes from God, period. We really need to get over ourselves thinking that we can meet our own needs. I think covetousness is the antithesis of contentment. We can't be in both at the same time. Coveting is beyond just admiring. It's wanting it so badly that you aren't happy without it. And envy is in there too. That's when you resent the fact that someone else has something that you don't, or they are someone that you aren't, or that you aspire to be. I think it's great to aspire to be better and to be like someone that you admire, but don't put in the discontentment piece, and then it turns to envy. Um, I call I call that the comparison pit, <laughs> because it's so easy for me to slide down into it, especially after a big rainstorm, and there's mud, and you slide right down into it, and you get dirty, and you do. You don't think so when you're in there. It's dark, and you're upset with God or with yourself or with somebody else, and you're saying, why can't I have that, or why can't I be that? 
it's sin and we're not happy. Remember last time we talked about why contentment is good? It's good because it makes us feel better. We're meant to be content. I was looking for a new desk while working on um, a series of talks. So I had papers all over the kitchen table. And I kept them there day in and day out. And uh, about every other day, I would say to Mark, do you want to go look at the desk I found over at World Market that I'm thinking of buying? And he said, no, he wasn't interested. Remember, he's a tent man. I guess that's what is meant by contentment. He could live in a tent. He just said this, I don't mind the papers. I could still admire the desks at World Market, but I did not covet them. I wanted to make sure I was content. So it was a good little test. I did pray about it, though. The message says it this way, Exodus 20, 17, do not set your heart on anything that isn't yours. Hmm, don't set your heart on it. Interesting how it starts with the attitude. Uh, I wonder how long a two-year-old thinks about her attitude before she grabs her brother's toy. She's envying it. She wants it. She covets it, so she grabs it. They probably don't think that much about it. They just do it. <laughs> Not only do wrong wells, last time we talked about drinking at the wrong well. Remember the purse with a hole in it. Not only do wrong wells lead to wrong attitudes, but they can lead to actions that ruin lives, your life and your family's life. 1 Timothy 6.9 says, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires. There's that coveting thing that plunge men, and it says men, but I'm sure it includes women, into ruin and destruction. Some people eager for money have plunged themselves with many griefs. Now, does that make money bad? It says money is the root of all evil. It's the desire for it over and above desiring God. That's what gets us into trouble. A serious sort of coveting is coveting a neighbor, not just their house or their car. It leads to adultery and ripping up families. My friend's parents studied medicine at Wheaton to become medical missionaries, but her dad coveted another woman and left his wife and five kids and went away to marry his nurse, and he never became a medical missionary. All those lives left in the dust because he was not content, because he coveted and acted on that coveting. I have a friend that um, was a teacher here in the area, and she and her husband worked in the same school district. Come to find out, everyone else knew that he was having an affair with another teacher, but she didn't. She didn't know. He left her when she was pregnant with their firstborn. These two men drank at the wrong well, and they left their families. And it happens with women, too. Drinking at the wrong well leads to dangerous actions. We need to ask God to help us be content in Him and Him alone and let Him take care of the details. I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes we have to have long nights of prayer and having it out with God and crying and speaking with um, a friend and getting therapy or counselor, whatever. I'm not saying it's easy while we wait on God to meet what we think are our deepest needs. 
but he does ask us to trust him for them. He does ask us to trust him for all of our needs. Why aren't we content when we're not? First, we put our hope in something or someone who is imperfect to meet our needs. That's wrong thinking. Next, we try out these things or we depend on these people to make us content, drinking at the wrong well. And third, which leads us to wrong attitudes or actions, like becoming too controlling. Just try controlling a little puppy or a 35-year-old adult child. You can't. Don't try it. The reason we try to uh, control other people is because we're not content that God is doing a work that we do not see. Or when we covet our worry or any number of griefs that Paul wrote to Timothy about. Can you answer this question? Do I believe in the God who is enough? Or do I believe in a God who doesn't seem to care? Why believe in such a God? That's something we need to answer for ourselves. Do we believe in the God who is enough until it's no longer a question that we even consider? What does a contented woman look like? First, she's expectant. Now, don't worry, I don't mean expecting. She looks to God for blessings because she knows she's loved and she knows God is able. Hope is always connected to contentment. You cannot separate the two. 1 Timothy 6.17 reads, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us. There we go. There's the abundance. Richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's okay to enjoy life. This does not sound like a stingy God. We can live expectantly when we meditate on a verse like that. Maybe you need to put that in your memory bank. The eyes of a contented woman are focused upward, not outward on others. In fact, we get into trouble when we compare ourselves with others, don't we? Wow, look at her. Her husband sings in the choir. Her kids never get in trouble. Her couch is in such good shape. She never gains weight. We can always find someone who has it better than we do. And if we dwell on that person, we are not expecting great things from God. We're just grumpy and ungrateful and miserable to be around. I don't want to be that kind of person. If, we, if you have trouble living expectantly, choose this verse as your verse for the year, and it will put your eyes where they need to be, Ephesians 3.20. It was my theme verse all through college. Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. I learned it this way, abundantly above all. I like that alliteration. Abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We can't even imagine how God wants to answer our prayers. Do we pray like that? Let me tell you a story of expecting God to do above and beyond. My folks were, uh, they lived in a nice town called Palisades Estates, and they would have people come by on occasion, just cold calls and say, if you ever want to sell your house, let me know. My dad would just chuckle and said, oh, well, we're not ready to sell the house. Well, um, about 10 years before they died, a realtor called them and said a couple had looked at their house and would they, 
would they be willing to make an appointment to meet them? Well, mom and dad just like to meet new people. So they said, sure. A funny part of that story was, is she asked about who played the piano and mom and dad said, well, they didn't, their kids tried to. So mom asked, well, do you play? And she said, yes. So they had the realtor sitting down at their piano playing the piano, pretty funny. But anyway, so this couple came over to meet my folks and dad said, well, you know, it's a million dollar house. He was pretty funny. <laughs> and uh, it's a million dollar house. So, you know, we're not ready to sell, but when we sell, it'll be a million dollars. Well, it turned out, and then they invited this couple who was kind of new to the area to their church and they ended up going to their church, Rolling Hills Covenant. And the couple ended up becoming their friends and they bought a house about a mile from them. And then about four months before my mom passed away, my brother called this couple and said, hey, are you still interested in their house? Now, granted, this was years later. And they said, are we still interested in Hyatt and Betty's house? Well, well, yeah, they were. They were interested. And, uh, and then my mom passed away, and I met this darling couple at her memorial. And they said, hi, we're Jeff and Michelle, and we just loved your mother so much. And I thought, wow, those are the nicest people. Because I was a little worried, you know, my, maybe dad was offering to sell their house for a million and would be worth a million and a half by the time he died, you know, or maybe this couple can't be trusted. And then I met them and they're just like so darling and so sincere, loved our folks like we did, maybe better. And I thought, wow, they're nicer than any of my siblings, actually. They're such nice people. And then a couple months later, my brother uh, had a realtor friend come and appraise the house and they called Jeff again. And so the realtor told Jeff outside on the lawn, he, he said, um, well, first she said, do you want to come in and see the house? He goes, oh, no, I've been there a million times. And uh, dad was still living there with the caregiver. And um, he was, uh, yeah, he just turned 97. So the realtor said, well, um, I just want to tell you, the house is appraised at 750000 And um, because, you know, my folks hadn't kept it up, it had... It didn't have good landscaping, and it had popcorn ceilings and things like that. And Jeff said, oh, no, Hyatt said it was a million-dollar house, and that's what I'll pay. Wow. The realtor, just her mouth dropped open, her eyes were wide. Hyatt was standing there, and he couldn't believe it. And he emailed all of us, and, we, and he said, well, you need to pray now that Jeff and Michelle sell their house. And um, Dad passed away about six weeks after that. And so at the funeral, I, at the graveside, I said to Jeff, because now, of course, we are best friends. And I said, so I hear we need to pray that you sell your house. He goes, oh, that'll be no problem. And they had several offers within a couple of days. And uh, we never had to put the house on the market. He was up at the memorial. And Hyatt was introducing them to our neighbors, saying, you know, this, he will be your new neighbor, this great family with three kids. And... Um, we ended up, I think, probably giving them about 20000 to help with the plumbing. I mean, it was an old house. It was an old house. But God abundantly answered. We never had to, you know, put a for sale sign up. Plus, we got people who love my parents to buy this beautiful home. Since then, they have remodeled it abundantly above anything that my parents could ever do. And we've been back twice with our assembly reunions. They open the doors to us, and we sit around, and we talk about our parents and what God has done in our lives. Wow, it makes me cry.
now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more for the Moors, because we were the Moore family, than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. A contented woman expects great things from God because he loves her and because he is a great God. Live in that contentment today. I'll see you next time. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live, all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.